time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Monday. Thank you so much for joining us, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Appreciate you being here. Scott Foster here with us, with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as they report on their departments and what they're working on for this next uh, couple hours. We will begin our show with Susan Littlefield, see what's going on in farm. Hey, Scott, here's what's happening on a midday for a Monday. I'll kick it off at 1219 as we speak with agronomist Dave Warner as he talks about crop issues and economic thresholds when it comes to crop diseases. Then stepping in at 1245, we're going to hear about the far wheat grant that is out there and how organizations are coming together to help raise money to be able to support these scientists. And then Alex will wrap everything up at 117 as she talks about a new person on the Nebraska Wheat Board. It's a midday from the farm team. Thanks so much, Susan. I appreciate it. Uh, we turn it over to sports and Jason back just in time. <laughs> yeah, what, what are we going to talk about? What could we possibly have to talk about? My goodness. And, you know, when, when the, the uh, Mac went this weekend, I thought, oh, man, here we go. Well, college football is certainly the wild, wild west right now. Also, if you haven't been on Twitter lately, you might want to check that out. As, uh, it has just blown up. Of course, anonymous sources saying the Big Ten has already decided to cancel its mm. season, that there were only two schools that voted that wanted to try to move forward, that being Nebraska and Iowa. Mm. Now, this officially will be announced tomorrow is what we are being told. Now, the Huskers had practice this morning, and... They went through their workouts just like normal. Head coach Scott Frost was already scheduled to hold a press conference this afternoon at 1.30. So mm. we will be monitoring that. We may run some of that on the air this afternoon as well. A lot of people hear that. But there is, there is a lot of stuff going on. You have the Power Five. All of those leagues cannot decide on how to move forward with right. this. Sounds like the SEC is not convinced that shutting things down is the best way to go. The ACC and the Big 12, they're still on the fence. Pac-12 sounds like they will follow the Big Ten's lead and shut her down. But stay tuned. <laughs> they want somebody to make a decision, and then they'll follow it. And we've said that all, all yeah. summer, that yeah. there would eventually be a day of reckoning, or you would have to decide what you were willing to put up with when it came to this, and that never really happened. I've never been a fan of the of the dirty pool that the SEC plays. But I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I will root for them to see if they can find a pathway through this maze of just chaos to try to find a way to have a season. Yeah. There's also been some talk of some of the Big Ten schools that don't agree with this, trying to splinter off to find a way. We'll see. <laughs> no, Again, no good answers. Well, and, and as I've said through the whole thing, I would not want to be a decision maker through no. all of this. Absolutely no. not. It's tough. All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Uh, we turn it over to Bob Rogan. Stocks are uh, up and down a little mixed right now, aren't they? In trading after President Donald Trump announced several uh, moves to aid the economy, and uh, reaction was swift, and um, uh, actually uh, the reaction continues. The Dow is up 253 points at one point to 27,686. U.S. employers advertised more jobs in June compared with May, but overall hiring fell, painting a mixed picture of the job market. And McDonald's is suing Steve Easterbrook, the CEO it ousted last year over an inappropriate relationship with an employee. So those are some of the stories we're watching. 
It's all coming up on Midday. Schools and the pandemic. How education can coexist with COVID-19. That's the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum, Tuesday, August 11th from 3 to 4 Central, 2 to 3 Mountain on KRVN. Special guests include Nebraska Department of Education Commissioner Matt Bloomstead, Director of the NSA Jay Beller, and more. We'll dive into education in Nebraska during the pandemic, the difficulties of making decisions to go back to school, along with how things may look this academic year. Nebraska schools and the pandemic on the next Rural Radio Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. we got Paul Perkins in here with us today. It's a relatively nice, mild day after a very hot Sunday yesterday. Yes, uh, the, the humidity was very brutal oh. over this weekend. Uh, a lot of the dew points into the mid-70s and really pushing that heat index up into about... 105 to 110 in many locations, but some much cooler and drier air moving in for today. Dew points currently in the upper 50s to the low 60s. Even into eastern Nebraska, we're seeing those dew points right around the 60 degree mark. So, yeah, it's a yeah, hmm, boy, it would. They yesterday yesterday surprised me. I mean, Saturday we were talking about it was going to be pretty hot, and it it was it was hot. But boy, yesterday just slapped you in the face when you went outside. So. <laughs> Exactly. Now, we did have some rough thunderstorms move through northeast Nebraska this morning. Those now are into central Iowa, and many reports of 70-mile-an-hour wind gusts in uh, portions of central Iowa and numerous severe thunderstorm warnings in place across much of central Iowa, and even including a severe thunderstorm watch for much of the state until 2 o'clock this afternoon with those strong thunderstorms. But nice and quiet in our area in behind a cold front moving in. Temperatures right now mostly in the low to mid 70s in Nebraska, still some upper 60s as you head towards north central areas of Nebraska, 68 at Ordon, all the way down to 64 on the current temperature in the O'Neill area. And that is not the dew point, <laughs> that is the actual temperature. Temperatures more so in the upper 70s to low 80s over northwest Kansas, but then temperatures as warm as the upper 80s in central and east Kansas, just ahead of that cold front starting to move into those areas. Now, for most of us, cooler and less humid air will continue to filter south today in behind a cold front. Temperatures about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than average, with some clouds mixing with their sun right now. Pretty much a lot of sunshine across the area. We do have some clouds into northeast Nebraska in the very southeast corner. Also some clouds into eastern areas of Kansas where there's still some lingering light rain in the northeast part. Otherwise, some pockets of cloud in northwest Kansas. But all in all, not too bad of a day. Thunderstorms will be possible right near that cold front as it starts to move into eastern Nebraska and northern Kansas late today through this evening. Now, weak high pressure does move overhead and keeps other areas mainly dry through tonight. Tomorrow will be a seasonal day with Plenty of sunshine, late day and nighttime thunderstorms once again possible in our forecast for tomorrow through Friday as we see the remnants of thunderstorms develop over the high plains late in the day, then track to the east. Now temperatures warm to slightly above normal for Wednesday through Friday with a ridge of high pressure expanding from the desert southwest. Thunderstorms are possible by Saturday night with a cold front. In behind that front, temperatures cool slightly to seasonal on Sunday. In the latest long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to be slightly warmer than normal for this weekend through August 23rd. The rainfall outlook 
looking mostly dry with below normal rainfall this weekend through August 23rd in Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Market impacting weather factors include a mixed bag for rain across the Midwest and continued beneficial rain in Australia's wheat areas. Scott, we were talking about that ridge of high pressure over the desert southwest. It is a brutal one. Extreme heat persists right now across the desert southwest. Yesterday in Phoenix, their high of 112 marked the 34th day this year with a high of 110 or greater. Nope, moving. I'm yeah, <laughs> not, that, not living there. That breaks the previous annual record of 33 days of 110 degree heat or better in 2011 in Phoenix. And they had their 34th day of 110 degrees or greater yesterday in Phoenix. Gross. Yeah, this week, dry weather and intensifying heat will extend as far east as the high plains, as well as much of the south-central U.S. Active weather will prevail much of the week from the upper Midwest into the southeast, with one to three-inch rain totals common across a broad area. Midwest rain amounts will vary. The past weekend featured locally heavy rain and flooding in the mid-Mississippi Valley. Other parts of the Midwest had mostly light rain. This week will feature moderate to locally heavy rain, focusing across the southern and eastern Midwest. Western Midwest areas will have mainly light amounts. Temperatures, though, will be seasonal. Overall, crop conditions remain favorable in the Midwest, despite some drought in western areas. The southern plains will have periods of rain this week over all but the far southwestern areas. The rain that does fall will benefit row crops in the filling stage. Crop conditions for the northern plains are favorable right now. This past weekend brought light to moderate rain, and additional storms are predicted this week. In both east and west Australia, moderate to locally heavy rain this past week continues to be timely for their developing wheat. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paula. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather, sir? Weather tab, krvn.com. Crump diseases are spreading and increasing and seeing everything from southern rust to gray leaf spot and bacterial leaf streak, just to name a few. Don't forget about frog eye leaf spot in our soybeans. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dave Warner is an agronomist and sales manager for Helena Chemicals as he talks about that economic threshold for our crops. When pods are filling, if we're flipping a couple pods per plant, that's that's huge losses for yield. So, you know, I'm telling guys, if we've got any kind of threshold, you know, three to four per plant, you know, say Japanese beetles, and, and there are more than that, don't get me wrong, but if we are in that threshold area where they're starting to chew on leaves and are chewing on pods, you know, anytime they chew on a pod right next to the bean itself in the, in the pod, it aborts that bean. So, you know, anything right now is very, very stressful to the plant if it's getting any kind of activity. How is the dry land uh, surviving right now in these areas that have not had the moisture that they need? Yeah, some of it not very good. It's got huge tip back, you know, on some of this corn. Even even a corn that looks good from the road but hasn't had a lot of rain late, uh, you know, this corn's in grain fill right now. So it's, uh, it's tipping it back, you know, pretty hard on some of it. It looks good until you start peeling it back, some of the peak already tipped back, you know, one to two inches. So, you know, we, we just got to watch this, you know, can't do anything about mother nature. You know, a good thing has been, and we don't like it as, as human beings, but the humidity has been terribly high. 
And so these plants seem to absorb the moisture better, you know, with high humidity. You know, we don't like it at all, but, you know, they sure do, you know, survive with, with higher humidity. The dews in the morning are a good thing. So that is great for the plant to try to survive on. On the other side, it brings in disease. Any other things that we need to be keeping an eye on in these fields in the next month before we start thinking <laughs> of combines rolling? Oh, Susan, there's a lot to be looking at. I mean, we, we're a long ways from putting this crop to bed for the year. So, you know, everybody really needs to be watching. You know, northern corn leaf blight has really come on strong here in the last 10 days. Um, so, like I said, so is southern rust. Frog eye on soybeans has started to form on leaves. Very distinct on how to look for that. So it can move very rapidly, too. So, you know, those kinds of things that we need to be watching. And, you know, if we have to spray, you know, to me, economic-wise, it's better off that you spray and control those funguses and then let them go because, you know, like I said, we're after the highest yields we can get with the prices that we have. I know it's costing us some money, but the offset of spraying versus not spraying and taking yield loss is, very drastic. All right. Anything else you'd like to add? I just hope that um, we get some rain in the next, you know, week around here, 10 days. We, we could use the rain again. Um, some soils are starting to deplete. So we, we, I just wish Mother Nature would give us a little moisture around here. I hope everybody has a great harvest. Most comments coming today from Helena Chemical Agronomist Dave Warner. Also, UNL has a crop watch, which we've shared on our website with photos and more information. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Grow Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, reportedly the Big Ten has voted to cancel the upcoming college football season in a historic move that stems from concerns related to the ongoing pandemic. Multiple people with knowledge of the decision confirmed that to the Detroit Free Press. Now, a formal announcement is expected tomorrow. The presidents voted 12-2 yesterday to end the fall sports season in the league. Only Nebraska and Iowa voted to play. That's according to Dan Patrick. That's what he said today on his radio show. Patrick added that the Pac-12 will make the same move tomorrow. Now, the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC are on the fence on whether they want to shut down the season or not. Nebraska head coach Scott Frost was already scheduled to host a press conference this afternoon at 1.30, and the Huskers still held their practice this morning. Well, today is officially the first day of fall practice for high school athletes in Nebraska, except in the Omaha School District, where they've decided to forego all athletic contests in the first semester. Lexington Athletic Director Phil Trex feels this is a worthwhile goal. We can do this. It's not going to be the same. You know, we're going to have to make some adjustments, but we can do this, and we plan on doing this, and we're going to, everybody's going to do our best to accomplish uh, something that we, I think, consensus is we all feel like this is a positive thing for the kids of our state. Barring any issues, the season is expected to start on August 28th statewide. The Minutemen will begin the year at home against Seward. Former Husker offensive lineman Spencer Long signed over the weekend with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, if you remember, Long originally was a walk-on at Nebraska and was a third-round draft pick by Washington back in 2014. Last year, he played with Buffalo. 
And the St. Louis Cardinals have not played since July 30th because of the virus concerns, and now they'll have to wait even longer before getting back on the field. Their entire three-game series between themselves and the Pittsburgh Pirates has been postponed. There have been 27 games postponed by Major League Baseball because of the coronavirus, 13 of those involving the Cardinals. Eight St. Louis players in total have tested positive. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Well, it is time for a first check for midday news. It is now 1229, and Ellen Simmons is now joining us. And Ellen, how was your weekend? It was good. Like hot. I said earlier, it was way too fast. But yeah, it was hot. Did you stay cool? Yeah, but uh, we, my husband and I, we went out and did some prairie dog hunting. So did you? Get rid fun. of some of those varmints? Yeah. Uh, you got to do that. <laughs> Very good. Well, Custer County had some good news over the past weekend. Yeah, so um, they announced that with the generous donations of individuals and businesses, they met their goal of raising $100,000 in 2020. This challenge was put forth by Roy Yanagita, and uh, the $100,000 raised by the foundation was generously matched by Roy Yanagita and his family to raise a total of over $400,000. This unrestricted gift will be used in ways to support Custer County communities, and CCF has distributed over $5.5 million to Custer County uh, students through college scholarships and to Custer County residents all of all ages through grants to nonprofit organizations since 1991. The 2020 legislative session is set to end this week and lawmakers still have to give final approval to a package LB 1107 that would help lower property taxes. Gothenburg Senator Matt Williams is pleased with that a compromised that was reached. Williams says the package has three main components. Will provide uh, some real property tax relief in addition to what's being offered now. Plus, it updates our state's incentive package for attracting new businesses and growing businesses, which is necessary to continue to grow our state. Plus, it uh, obligates the state to a significant investment in the new uh, next project at the UNMC Medical Center in Omaha. The tax and incentive bill was negotiated by seven legislative leaders. The $2.3 million next project is centered on federal designation of a disaster response center on the UNMC Omaha campus. A line of thunderstorms Monday morning sent high winds along with some rain and hail over eastern Nebraska and into Iowa, knocking eastern excuse me, knocking down tree limbs and causing power outages. The storms raced over parts of eastern Nebraska before 9 a.m. Monday, bringing wind gusts of up to 70 miles per hour. Omaha Public Power District reported more than 55,500 customers without power in Omaha and surrounding communities. By 10 a.m., the storms had moved into western Iowa and later into central Iowa, including Des Moines and Ames, where straight-line gusts of up to 80 miles per hour set off a number of tornado sirens. Three people have been arrested in connection with the shooting death of a man in North Omaha. Omaha police said 18-year-old Dallin Sherman was arrested on suspicion of first-degree murder and a weapons charge in connection with the August 3rd shooting of 36-year-old Benny Cartwright. Two other teenagers were arrested on other charges, and police said 19-year-old Janaco Richards was arrested on suspicion of being an accessory to a felony. Jordan Phillips, 18, was arrested on suspicion of tampering with evidence. Cartwright was found dead around North 28th Avenue and Bristol Street on August 3rd. 
after officers responded to a report of gunshots. You can find more news at krvn.com. Okay, thank you very much, Ellen. Today we're going to learn about an organization that helps researchers with grant opportunities. It's the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. We're going to take it one step further as it's going to address wheat crop disease using gene editing. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Jeff Rosashan is the FAR's Next Generation Crops Scientific Program Director. He first talks about the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research. And with the mission that they wanted to leverage the public investment in agricultural research, and so for every dollar that we fund for agri-research, we need to get matching non-federal dollars. And so this particular project with um, the University of California, Berkeley, um, the, the Integrated Genomics Institute, and with um, Two Blades Foundation, actually more than doubles that investment into what's a really novel approach to combating a devastating um, problem for wheat farmers globally. Looking at that opportunity, I mean, beyond what we're going to be talking about with wheat, the organization really is there as a as a strong base to helping researchers all across the country. We are, and and you know. So we were also set up to be complementary but not competitive with the other federal funding agencies. And so we're able to do something that's very unique within the, the federal funding system in that we partner with, again, you know, other eight um, groups, so universities, with um, NGOs, with uh, private companies to actually double or even triple or even sometimes even more leverage those congressional dollars that are funding research. So it's a really uh, unique opportunity um, for us and for, you know, U.S. growers to really get the benefit of that leverage dollar. And not only that, um, but by bringing particularly companies into the equation, you know, that really helps to ensure that the worry research that we funded um, is really directed towards having an impact to U.S. growers. And so a lot of the things that we really look at funding, um, we look at what are going to be the outcomes, and particularly within this particular challenge area, you know, a lot of the things that we tend to fund are really to try to accelerate the breeding cycle, um, which typically normally takes 8 to 10 years to produce a new variety, but to really try to shorten that time to get better adapted varieties into the hands of growers sooner. I was going to say, how exciting that has got to be to know that that you guys, as you look over these grant requests, really have a hand in the future of what agriculture is going to be like. Um, it is. And I, I will say, too, you know, like the other um, federal granting agencies, we have a really rigorous process that we go through. So when a um, professor submits a proposal to us, it's peer-reviewed by experts in the field. We get at least three independent peer reviews for every scientific proposal, and then we review those peer reviews with a panel. Our panels are um, composed of not just academicians, but actually um, people who are very diverse stakeholders. So we've got growers on our um, review panels, we've got uh, members of NGOs, we've got some uh, 
people that are representing commodity groups. So it's really diverse groups really looking at um, one of the things that we try to do is really have a very diverse portfolio of ag research that we fund. Tell me a little bit about this latest award, $900,000 to be a benefit to the wheat industry. Our $900,000, as I said, being matched by the Two Blades Foundation and also by um, UC Berkeley, um, basically tripled that amount. Um, this is a really innovative project. And, you know, what the pathologists talk about typically is the boom and bust cycle of disease resistance. So if you think about it, you know, this has been going on for tens of thousands of years. The pathogens and the crops have evolved in parallel. And what ends up happening is, you know, between the plant breeders and the uh, crop chemistry companies, uh, you come out with a new resistant variety or you come out with a, a new um, fungicide, the pathogens are continually evolving. And so um, there's a need really to either stack resistance genes or to um, tank mix the fungicide. But what seems to be happening is, depending on the environmental conditions, the, the pathogens are still able to mutate and come up with resistance. And we're starting to run out of conventional uh, resistance genes. So, you know, we've been stacking resistance genes against a lot of these wheat fungi for a lot of years through conventional breeding. That takes a lot of time. You go out to um, sort of uh, wild and woolly, not adapted wheat lines. You make the cross. Then you have to spend years cleaning up those crosses, stack those genes. This particular project offers novel ways using, you know, our most current toolbox. Some exciting opportunities coming up for the wheat industry, as we hear from Dr. Jeff Rosashawn. I'm Susan Littlefield of the World Radio Network. York. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Rogan. Wall Street is drifting in trading today after President Donald Trump announced several stopgap moves to aid the economy. At one point this morning, the S&P 500 was up three points to 3,354. The Dow was up 253 points to 27,686. And the Nasdaq was down 75 points at 10,936. U.S. employers advertised more jobs in June compared with May, but overall hiring fell, painting a mixed picture of the job market. The number of jobs posted on the last day in June jumped 9.6% to 5.9 million, the Labor Department saying today. A solid gain, but still below the pre-pandemic level of around 7 million. McDonald's is suing Steve Easterbrook, the CEO it ousted last year over an inappropriate relationship with an employee alleging he covered up relationships with other employees and destroyed evidence. Easterbrook told the company that there were no other similar instances. McDonald's says in a lawsuit that it has since become aware of sexual relationships between Easterbrook and three other employees prior to his termination. The U.S. government's Road Safety Agency is investigating complaints of fires in a power and charging port in some Chrysler town and country minivans. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says it has three reports of fires and one injury in minivans from the 2014 model year. About 150,000 vans are covered. U.S. gas prices remain unchanged over the past two weeks, staying at an average of $2.25 a gallon nationally, according to Trilby Lundberg, the publisher of the Lundberg survey. 
AAA says the average price of regular unleaded in Nebraska is just under $2.10 a gallon, with virtually no change over the past week. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Schools and the pandemic. How education can coexist with COVID-19. That's the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Tuesday, August 11th from 3 to 4 Central, 2 to 3 Mountain on KRVN. Special guests include Nebraska Department of Education Commissioner Matt Bloomstead, Director of the NSA Jay Beller and more. We'll dive into education in Nebraska during the pandemic, the difficulties of making decisions to go back to school, along with how things may look this academic year. Nebraska schools and the pandemic on the next Rural Radio 4. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts recently appointed Rick Dunbar of Eustis as director for District 7 on the Nebraska Wheat Board. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. Today we have the pleasure of visiting with Rick. Rick, thanks for joining us. First of all, tell us a little bit about your background in the wheat industry. Well, I live in northeastern Frontier County and have raised wheat for over 40 years here and have served on a board with the Nebraska Crop Improvement Association, which deals in uh, in wheat seed certification. And uh, our operation, of course, includes seed wheat production. Um, in, and in addition, we have uh, corn and soybeans and popcorn and Rick, you mentioned this before we went on the air, but you do have a lot to learn in this new role. Uh, but what will your role be looking like as you serve on the Nebraska Wheat Board? Well, uh, one of the committees that I was assigned to was uh, international marketing of wheat, which I, of course, have uh, a lot of interest in and have uh, visited uh, the Portland facility that does blending for international trade. That's a specific interest of mine. We're visiting with Rick Dunbar of Eustis, Nebraska, as he was just appointed by Governor Pete Ricketts to serve on the Nebraska Wheat Board. Rick, one of the challenges facing the wheat industry, and specifically here in Nebraska, is the drop in wheat acres. Because you're serving producers, I guess, what does this challenge look like from your perspective? Well, the drop in acres is tied directly to economics. Uh, as the wheat price has gone down, the acres, of course, followed along. And uh, we can hope to uh, generate uh, a combination of domestic and foreign export use and work the prices back up. And I think the acres will follow that. Absolutely. Well, what are some of your goals, some of the things you hope to be doing as you serve on the Nebraska Wheat Board? Well, of course, like I said, I'm new. I have a lot to learn. I I don't have an agenda, uh, but as I pick up speed, I hope to uh, find some things that I have, uh, some input that will help the, uh, the wheat industry in general. And Rick, as you take a look at the uh, status of the wheat industry here in the state, what are some of the main challenges that you see and hope to solve as you serve uh, Nebraska wheat producers and the Nebraska wheat industry? Boy, that's a tough one. I don't have a number one thing. Uh, There are so many things tied directly to the economy and our present situation with the COVID as it affects our economy and uh, a lot of things to sort through. All right. Thanks so much, Rick. You're welcome. Thank you.
That again was Rick Dunbar of Eustis, Nebraska, as Governor Pete Ricketts recently appointed him to director for District 7 on the Nebraska Wheat Board. Dunbar will serve a five-year term, and that will conclude on June 30th of 2025. And as District 7 director, he will be representing the entire state of Nebraska. For more information about Rick Dunbar and for all things happening with the Nebraska Wheat Board, just go to NebraskaWheat.com. And for all of the latest agriculture news and information, you can go to our website, RuralRadio.com. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wachowski reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. As we take a look at this grain trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. John Payne joins us, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It started out to be kind of an interesting day out there, John, with uh, obviously seeing some higher numbers in the corn, the beans, lower on the wheat, and then this weather front that moves through the Midwest. Yeah, it sounds like the wind's really took a toll on the center part of Iowa, which is, you know, that's really where the problem is if you're if you're going to develop an issue. It's, it's right there in the center part of the state. But there's going to be, maybe, maybe they'll buy the report tonight because of that, but I don't think they're going to be too uh, too keen to jump ahead and, and say buy, um, you know, buy ahead of the crop progress. The progress reports are bearish tonight. I imagine that the belief that the, uh, USDA reports are going to be bearish, and then that probably caps any rallies we get, at least for the next three days. So, uh, short term, uh, I would say, you know, you just got to be patient. If you want to own the crop, I'd say wait a couple of weeks. I think lows of developing early September are a lot higher, more of a likelihood than they are right now. Uh, and as far as beans go, I just don't think you chase rallies. I think you get a chance to maybe buy 10, 15 cents lower, you start establishing it, but. Uh, I think in the near term, you're going to see those upper ends, upper end of the, the market cap. Look like another good week as we kind of recap last week's export sale numbers coming in for the soybeans. Yeah, and the numbers are going to be good this week for exports as well. Um, you know, we're we're just we're seeing supply demand there. I mean, there's there the meal markets are putting the crush here in the U.S. at a very good level about a dollar over, so you're, you're seeing good margins there for folks to use soybeans. Uh, but again, we're just trying to find a, a grip on supply. Uh, this is one of those things where I tell folks, you know, if you want to own it, just go on vacation for two weeks. I just think you're going to get a chance to buy it cheaper. Sometimes down the road when everybody's kind of forced to clean out the bins. I know that started already, but uh, I just look at any macro moves to be capped here. So I'm, I'm, I'm playing more short buys over the next two, three weeks with Kind of a longer bias there into the into the Q4, especially the month of October when insurance levels are set. Definitely sounds like sit back and be relaxed is probably the most important thing for these grain guys to do right now. <laughs> That's difficult. I know folks out there don't don't relax very well, especially in a time like this. But uh, I think near term here, it's going to be a little rough, and um, it'll be watching to see what happens with you know the any future MFP payments that would be available to producers and processors. I think that's going to dictate demand as well. So short term here, I would, I would hesitate to take too much risk, especially, especially if you have a lot of supply on hand. Sounds good. Thanks so much, John. That again is John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures involves a risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Okay, thank you very much, Susan. That'll wrap up this edition of Midday. 
If you want to listen to anything or any of the interviews, we podcast our midday segments. They can be available online at iTunes or on KRVN.com. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors.